Hello, and welcome to Knoll Country for Old Men. We are a podcast about board games, tabletop games, and role-playing games. My name is Troy, pronouns he, him, and with me, as always... My name's Ed. My pronouns are they and them. Sorry, there's a truck outside. Somebody's delivering something. Well, I hope it's something nice. Something, perhaps, hobby-related. Did you buy more miniatures? No, but my wife did order a bunch of uh, emergency and bug-out supplies, so it could be that. Yeah, gotta be prepared in case you want to go LARPing in the post-apocalypse. Yep. And today, we are going to be talking about Sid Meier's Alpha Centauri, which is a video game. Yep, and I'm taking a uh, break from Dancing Naked Through the Woods of Planet to uh, join you here on the comlink. But it's also got a GURPS module, so it's technically a role-playing game as well. But before we get into the best science fiction civilization builder game uh, that I've ever played, and one of my all-time favorite games, we have a segment on this podcast called The Week in Hobby. I'll go first, because mine's pretty brief. I took the week off of my D&D and Sprawl campaigns, so we didn't do anything. I have done a little bit of painting. I'm entering a painting contest at one of my friendly local game stores. So I've got a little guy who's primed up. I'm getting going on it. I'm going to do some freehand of like a fleur-de-lis on the back. And uh, yeah, I think he's going to be pretty cool. He's, I'm doing a paint scheme based on some medieval French knights, uh, which I think will stand out really nicely on this model. I also got a little banner thing in the pack that they handed out for the paint contest and i'm doing that up in the ukrainian flag colors because why not ed how about you what what have you done this week in hobby uh i did a surprising amount i had a really super stressful week and i've been taking a hiatus from social media because i uh can't handle a whole lot more war journalism at the moment so uh did some painting for that same paint competition uh doing a wildling from Game of Thrones and trying to do a scheme that looks like uh, indigenous Inuit clothing. And it's proving a little bit more difficult than I anticipated just because there's a lot of like subtlety and color that comes to painting fur and tanned hide like that. that just doesn't come across as brown. So that'll be interesting. Started painting Baron Zemo from Crisis Protocol. Finished up the Goose Hydra played a board game that we'll end up talking about later. Yeah, it's been a surprisingly busy week. Cool. I also uh, did some charity stuff for Ukraine, so I have some Ukraine-themed hobby stuff that's in the mail and in my email inbox, so whenever I decide to return to social media, that might make a uh, an appearance there. Cool. Well, glad to hear some of that. So, Sid Meier's Alpha Centauri. The game was released in 1999, along with its expansion, Alien Crossfire, on PC originally, and then ported to Mac and Linux in 2000. Year of Linux on the desktop, clearly. Uh, The game is a turn-based 4X civilization builder. Uh, 4X games, that stands for Explore, Expand, Exploit, Exterminate, which is any game where you build a civilization, usually turn-based, 
and you build a civilization, you build bases, you build units, you gain resources from controlling the map, you fight other people. The game is a spiritual successor to the early civilization games, uh, 1 and 2 particularly, but with a science fiction setting of Alpha Centauri, the closest star to our solar system. Uh, it won a number of awards for best game or best strategy game of the year when it came out. And it did that because it has a really interesting setting, a really strong story, a collection of cool and interesting factions, and pretty good gameplay. The graphics aren't much, but they're never much in this kind of game. The graphics are not why you're playing it. And it does have some cool videos that are interspaced throughout the game, uh, depending on things that you do, that are not real impressive these days, but in 1999 were amazing. Uh, these days, if you find them on YouTube, you'll find that you can only watch them in, I think, 240p, because the resolution on videos included on a single CD game in 1999 were terrible. I still have my original CD of uh, Alpha Centauri. I do not. Uh, however, I think I downloaded it from GOG a while back, so I can still play it. I also have, I also have the GOG version, and the history of video games can just end with Alpha Centauri because I don't think you're going to come up with a more perfect game. I think the history of the 4X games could probably end with Alpha Centauri, yeah. There was an attempt in mid-2000s, like 2014, I want to say, to make a new... Uh, to make a successor game um, called, I think, After Earth? Uh, Civilization Beyond. Civilization Beyond. It was garbage. It was okay. It was not good. I went from there being seven basic factions to three and removed a lot of the other fun features of the game and the setting. There's, the setting was a lot worse, I think. So let's talk about the setting. It, the game takes place in the Alpha Centauri star system on the planet of Chiron, also known as Planet. It has two moons, three major, two minor continents, and a number of interesting geographical features, many of which have actual effects on the gameplay. Uh, the planet is slightly larger than Earth and is home to a strange fungus-like growth that can turn into trees and sort of fields and other things that covers much of the landmass and a good number of the oceans. The growth is somehow linked to the primary native species, which are known as mindworms. All the mindworms. Just give them, give them to me all. Mindworms are telepathic but not sentient, worm-like creatures that occasionally form large swarms capable of destroying human settlements and destroying human minds. Yeah, as the plot of the game progresses, you learn through various, um, like, text interludes, sort of what's going on with this planet. Like, why there are strange alien ruins, and why their fungus exists, and what's going on with that, and why there are telepathic mindworms, and some other quite interesting things. There's, there's an actual story to the game that is told in interludes as you play, and the ending you know, kind of depends on how you win the game. If you win the game. If you lose the game, well, get better. Maybe switch to an easier difficulty. Get good. 
maybe move your base if you're next to one of the factions that's really militaristic. Civilize faster. The story starts with a UN spaceship called the Unity launching a colonization effort to Alpha Centauri because Earth sucks and is not doing well. This massive multinational colonization effort is taking about 40 years to get there, and as it enters the solar, the Alpha Centauri solar system, the captain of the ship is murdered. No one's sure who did it or why they did it, but it causes chaos and panic among the crew, who split into seven factions, each led by a charismatic person and divided more by ideology than nationality or anything else. These seven factions, when they reach the planet, each take part of the ship, um, one of the landing pods, go down, land, and start their own colonies. Uh, then, as the game progresses, you start to make contact with the other factions, and, you know, diplomacy happens, or war happens, or you simply use terraforming machinery to sink their bases into the ocean, and whatever you want to do. The core factions are the Lord's Believers, led by Miriam. Boo. They are a... They're, uh, they're space Catholics. They're space fundamentalist Christians, really. Fun little note about them. Their color is orange, which I think is a Dune reference, because Dune refers to the orange Catholic Bible whenever, like, Christianity is brought up, and these guys are... Well, orange and Catholics, and they have the cleaned up Bible that cover that is used for their religion group. I can't remember the name of it. It's called something, but it's like a unified Bible. That would make sense. They're very militaristic. They get penalties to research, and they are almost always opposed to the next faction, which is the University of Planet. Also, boo. Yay, University of Planet, my favorites led by Provost Akademician Zakharov. A uh, Russian dude, they're, they are the all-research-all-the-time faction. They're very good at it, but they get penalties to a uh, number of things like police and spying because they believe in open source and publishing their research. Militaristically, they're kind of weak, but if, if you're two tech levels ahead of everybody else, it doesn't matter how weak you are. The next faction is... Gaia's stepdaughters. Yay, Gaians. Go, Gaians. Gaians are the greens. Their color in the game is literally green. And they are environmentalists, uh, led by Lady Deirdre Sky. They primarily focus on learning to live in harmony with the planet. And they don't care how many men, women, and children they have to kill to do that. One of us. One of us. They get a bunch of bonuses, and one of these is that they can capture mind worms if they have a unit out in scouting and they run into wild ones. And then eventually they can grow their own, and once they've captured them, this gives them, well, mind worm units, which are quite good at attacking cities and... Um, exploring the world because they get they can move through fungus easier instead of being slowed down by it like a normal unit would once i unlock the mine worms i just forego any other military units and it's just all mine worms all the time 
I like to wait until, wait until the late game and then just capture all the massive ones that spawn because you don't have to spend resources building them at that point. Also viable. Yes, you can also capture the sea-based ones, which are great because they're usually transporting land-based ones. They can also transport human units, which just sounds disgusting. Yeah, don't don't look into it very much. The Gaians are cool. Uh, their ideology does mean that they are massively opposed to the next uh, faction, the Morganites, led by CEO Nwabudake Morgan. Boo! Who financed the entire colonization effort, and he is hyper-capitalist. That, that's their whole thing, is they are super-capitalists. All of their things, all of their divisions are referred to as being, like, businesses related to this or that. Um, they get real strong economic bonuses, but penalties to, well, a lot of other stuff in exchange. Primarily, they get super heavy pollution, which has effects on the game, because the more pollution you cause, the more mind worms come and try to destroy your bases... And eventually, sufficient pollution can cause sea level rises, which will cause coastal bases to slide into the ocean and be destroyed. Global warming is a human hive hoax. Yes. Uh, speaking of the human hive, one of the next factions is the human hive, led by Chairman Yang. Uh, the human hive is dedicated to creating a new form of human civilization that's communal they're weird and it's not like the good communal it's like the police state borg kind of communal yeah they are super communist but in a like totalitarian thought police communist manner it's like 1984 yeah it's 1984 minus a lot of the like corruption elements they seem to be they're just weird. They they operate on a sort of inhuman scale and setting. Their ideology is very much about that the needs of the community are greater than the needs of the individual, and the rights of the community are greater than the rights of the individual. And they get bonus. They get some really good bonuses. Uh, their military units are stronger. All of their bases start with extra defenses. Um, their economy is stronger, and oh, they can. De deploy what's called nerve stapling for free Ow. which is where you basically mess up the you mentally torture the people who would revolt against you it's not good everyone else considers it to be an atrocity don't do it don't nerve staple the drones they need you they look up to you and of course they have an opposition because the people who are most opposed to this sort of inhuman collectivism is the Peacekeepers, the United Nations of Planet. Peacekeepers are okay. Sometimes. Led by Brother Lal, the UN Peacekeepers are, um, well, they're all about spreading democracy by military if they need to. They get bonuses to a couple of different things. The big one, I think, is that they get a bonus to... United Nations, once all the factions have been discovered, they can start the United Nations of Planet and vote on various proposals that would affect everyone. Um, 
improved global trade, eventually launching solar shades to counteract that global warming thing that the Morganites have caused, or repealing the like wartime conventions and allowing nerve gas to be used by everyone. War crimes for everybody. Pro tip, don't do this, because everyone will just start nerve gassing your bases. Yes, they will. It is not a good call. And yeah, they're kind of militaristic. The lore for them gets real interesting because they kind of have some corruption issues. We might talk about that a little later when we get into some of the deep lore. Uh, the next faction is not opposed as much to anyone. They're opposed to everyone because they are the Spartan Federation. And they are hardcore military survivalists. And they are, you know, they're fascists. They, they are 100% fascists. They are all military all the time. They get massive bonuses to their military units, but penalties to all their society stuff. They're kind of cool. They're annoying when they declare war on you because they just have all of the units. And their units are good at fighting. Their units are already veteran status right out the gate. So they get bonuses. Um, they are probably one of the first people to vote to remove the atrocities thing. The best thing I've found is to set them against the believers and let them duke it out for a decade. Feed one of them technologies and let them fight each other. Yeah, but then you get, like, the super believers and they're even worse. Well, that's why you go for planet busters, a.k.a. nuclear weapons. Yay, my favorite strategy. Planet busters in the game are also, are you know, nuclear missiles. But they're cool and the their use will annihilate whatever they're dropped on, just utterly destroy any base or unit, and annihilate stuff around them in a various range, depending on what type of planet buster you're using, and create a crater that is visible on the map and destroys, like, multiple tiles of the board. It's a really slick implementation, and it uh, it's real fun when someone uses one. Also, everyone immediately declares war on whoever used it. Sounds about right. Yeah, I, I'm in favor of that. I like that option. You use a nuclear weapon, everyone goes to war with you. Uh, typically, I don't use nukes until it's the late game, and there's no one left to go to war with me except for whoever I'm fighting. And then I just threaten everyone else with nukes, and uh, yeah, it, it ends real fast then. Now, the expansion added a number of additional factions. The expansion is, it's almost a sequel because it adds a number of factions, it adds a bunch of extra stuff, and it kind of, it doesn't start at the same point. You could say that it starts maybe like 150 years after landing because a number of the factions are kind of spin-offs of the existing factions. Um, the first one is the Cult of Planet were the kind of spin-offs of the Gaians, who are not just environmentalists, but they actively worship the mind worms and like the fungal growth that covers the planet. Like I said earlier, one of us, one of us. Yeah, they are uh they get super huge bonuses to using mind worms, but everyone else is really weirded out by them. Uh, then you get the cybernetic consciousness, which I think spun off of the human hive. I can't remember. They're cyborgs. Their, their whole deal is that they're cyborgs. 
the data angels, data angels, whatever, that are spinoffs from the university that are hackers, their hacker collective um, that demands that all information be free and that, you know, having any form of control over it is unconscionable to them. The Free Drones, which are a spinoff from the Morgan, uh, the, the super capitalists spinoff, the like workers collective group of Free Drones. Um, the Nautilus Pirates, which are the sea-based. I like the pirates. They are. The pirates are cool. They're surprisingly strong because they start in the ocean and... It takes a while for anyone else to get ships. Just all the oceans. So you are safe for the first, like, third of the game because no one else can build a navy during that time. And that can give you a good amount of time to get started, even though you won't have access to quite as many resources as everyone else. They are kind of a spinoff of the Spartans because they, you know, are militaristic pirate nation. And then the last two are extra weird because they are aliens. Aliens who used to live on this planet, but haven't for a long time, who have come back to it and are primarily at war with each other. Uh, the Manifold Caretakers and the Manifold Usurpers. Both of them get a bunch of crazy bonuses related to, well, the fact that they just do stuff differently than how the humans work. Their terraforming is different. They're, they get some unique units. They, uh, they do stuff a little differently. But the big difference is the caretakers are defensive and the usurpers are offensive. Also, they can never make peace with each other. And if you sign a, an agreement with their opponent, they will never like sign a treaty with you. They take sides real quick. It's like you got to pick either NATO or Warsaw, one or the other. Essentially, yeah. None of this Yugoslavia stuff. Yeah, you, you got to pick which one you're going to work with. Uh, I think the caretakers are usually the better choice because they, they're not actively trying to invade everyone. But if you are a strong military power, then picking the other strong military power as your ally can uh, help quite a bit. I've not played much of the aliens just because they work so much differently than everybody else. Same. But they are cool, and I like that they're an expansion that you can kind of pick if you want it on or off. Yeah, that is that is a cool element of the game, is that, you know, you can either play just the base game or play Alien Crossfire. So, so the story is, once people have landed, you discover the mindworms, you discover the fungus, and eventually, as you start developing telepathic uh, telepaths and empaths in your society, you kind of learn that the mind, that the fungus is a massive planetary neural net. Whoa, whoa. Spoiler alert, bro. For a 23-year-old game. Yes, that I definitely have not finished dozens upon dozens of times. <laughs> yes, yes. And if you haven't finished it, now is your chance to stop this, go play the game, and, uh then come back and tell us what you thought. I'm playing it right now. I'm trying to screw with with the uh, the Spartans. Good call. So you discovered that the planetary fungus is a massive planet-wide neural net, and you start to make contact with it, 
and learn that it has sort of cycles of like intelligence and then it grows too big and starts to die off and drops back down to not being intelligent again. And one of those cycles, these bloomings is coming up. So you can start to interact with planet mind. You provide it with knowledge and the ability to sort of understand humanity. And in the late game, you can eventually perform what is referred to as the ascent to transcendence. Where, which is the technological victory for the game, where you essentially upload human consciousness to the planet mind, merge with it, and become a super entity that, you know, has access to all the most advanced human technologies and the computing power of an entire planet. One of us. One of us. Yeah, you're post-human at that point and the the like end game describes how shit gets weird planet mind thousands of years in the future is building a paradise for the humans that remain and that like still want to live as humans that some of them are in like post-human status and living as creatures that can like survive in space and you're working on creating a dyson sphere and you've sent expeditions back to earth to sift through the radioactive rubble and it's very super high concept sci-fi at that point my favorite kind of sci-fi yeah it's uh i really like that that is the canon ending of the game is that someone transcends and the new consciousness builds a world for everybody and it's cool and you win it actually makes it feel like there's some progress to the world of the game compared to something like civilization where it's just like, yep, this nation is the winner of humanity. There's no other story. Yeah. It feels like there is an actual endpoint and storyline that happens throughout the game. And that's really neat. So the ascent to transcendence that I mentioned to do that in the game, it is a secret project. The game has a number of these secret projects each one is kind of the equivalent to building a wonder in the Civilization games in that it can only be built once. It has to be built at a specific base. And when you build it, it, well, it costs a lot of resources to do. And when you build it, it provides you with an incredible bonus. Some of the early ones are stuff like the Human Genome Project, which gives you a bonus to your the people in your civilization. Later ones include... Uh, what, the defense matrix? Yep. Which gives you defenses at all your bases. Or the hunter-seeker virus, which, are sorry, hunter-seeker algorithm, which defeats any enemy spies that would attack you. Or the um, space elevator, which gives you all your bases access to orbital... Si- orbital... Uh, essentially gives all your bases the ability to build orbital facilities. Each of them changes dramatically how you play the game when you get it. And each of them has a short little video that plays when it's researched. And these are the ones that I referred to as being in 240p and not looking great on YouTube when you find them. But they looked great back in the day. And I have to say, they are really cool conceptually. 
Yep. Depending on the project you research, they range from, you know, kind of trippy to self-promotional to super fucking creepy. The super creepy one is when you research the, what, the telepathic matrix? Mm, I can't remember. You research one that's about offensive telepathy, and the line from it is, the, like, voice over text is, Mary had a little lamb, little lamb, little lamb. Mary had a little lamb, its fleece is white as snow. Assassin's Readout. Final Transmission. And this is over footage of people, like, clutching their minds and snakes biting mice and, like, terrifying music. And it is one of the creepiest 30-second clips in any video game. It's like some alien shit. Yeah, it's, uh... Yeah, the implication of what the hell just happened there is pretty, pretty terrifying. And one of the things I kind of like is that all the factions get these, all of the factions are involved in these... And every faction is sort of right about something. None of them are just outright evil. I mean, maybe except the human hive, but the human hive, like, end state, like, end goal is actually pretty good for their citizens when they get there. It's, it's interesting. They, they kind of stop being a police state once they get far enough along and start being... Uh, an a actual collective and open to like philosophy and improvement of the individuals. It just sucks in that beginning portion. Yeah, at the beginning of the game, it's terrible. I guess in that case, the evilest ones are probably the Spartans because their end game is cyborg super soldiers for everybody. Yay. But in the beginning, their survivalist stuff does make them stronger than everyone and able to protect themselves pretty strong, pretty well. I highly recommend it. And also, I would say that it's a good science fiction setting for RPGs. It provides a interesting world, and you can set a game at a variety of different points. And the Grups module talks in quite a bit of detail about where in the storyline you can like set your games and how to run them. I've seen some suggestions for creating a city, a like neutral city where the UN of where the like UN meetings where everyone would come together to vote it would be held and that all the factions would be active there, but none of them would be controlling it. So it would be full of like espionage and merchants and mercenaries. And that that would be a really good place to set a game, a role-playing game, if you're playing it there. Doing a little bit of Casablanca action. Yeah, a little bit of Casablanca, a little bit of like... Um, I, I guess if we go to Shadowrun, Seattle in Shadowrun setting is a sort of neutral city that everyone, that all the big players have access to, which is what makes it interesting. Although that's just as obscure, I suspect, for a lot of people. Shadowrun obscure? Um, I know a lot of people who have heard of it. I know very few people who have played it. Ah, okay. I I'm picking up what you're putting down there. We'll talk about Shadowrun 
it may or may not get its own episode, but I definitely want to do an episode about various cyberpunk role-playing games. Yay, cyberpunk. And not just the one called cyberpunk. You mean the one that they did a re-release and turned out to be not that great because it was cash-in? I've heard that it's okay, but the book is poorly laid out. So there's a whole bunch of interesting setting stuff and a whole bunch of interesting lore. And there's a lot of options for a role-playing game because you'd have this, these sort of high-tech cities and this barren out expanse outside with uh, terraformed areas and unterraformed areas and mind worms and the planet fungus. And the secret projects actually give a really good sort of cyberpunk, here's something that's going on, you have to stop it or protect it or steal research data from it so we can build our own sort of option for things that you can do that very much influence the course of the story and like where the game is going. And the Grups module talks a lot about how you can use that to your advantage as a person running the game. It also talks a lot about specific technical things like what sort of skills and knowledge and technology you can find at various levels which i'm just going to go ahead and say it. i am not super familiar with grups i've looked through some of the books a few times and there are just too many options which is what you get for trying to create a generic universal role-playing system yeah i don't think i have any jokes there the system itself is very simple but the character building is stupidly complex and so i can't speak with any authority on it are there what about are there any other systems you think that would work better with uh alpha centauri than grups even though that's like the semi-official one actually yeah so in that case if you're going to use it and you don't want to use grups i would suggest using something a little more rules light something powered by the apocalypse style might be good because you would rely a lot less on having everything standed out and a lot more on narrative aspects which could be quite useful you'd probably have to come up with your own archetypes and your own moves from a cyberpunk perspective to turn them into more full-on science fiction but it could be doable um, you could also use it as a setting for a Lancer game if you wanted to add giant mechs, uh, which there is some lore to that because the aliens have what are called battle ogres, which are they're mech suits. So if you sort of changed that up, maybe changed up who the producers of the mech suits in Lancer were and just switched most of the combat to mech based, you could run Lancer using the Alpha Centauri setting. Other sci-fi games that might be good for it... Uh, I guess you could use Edge of the Empire and the sort of Star Wars... the modern Star Wars game. Um, just change the names on everything and sort of adjust... instead of alien races, you're the various transhuman, post-human strains that exist within the setting, depending on the technology level. Again, that's one... a game that is kind of focused a bit on the narrative side as well as being mechanically sound so a lot of the options and things that can be done there are not really tied directly to star wars 
And in fact, the force powers could be just tele telepathic psychic powers that exist within the universe already. So that might work out really nicely if you wanted to homebrew that over. I bet you could probably also use uh, Tides of Numenera because that one has that very high concept science fantasy bent to it. Um, if you if you dial back some of the Numenera specific stuff, um, you could definitely, I think, merge the two together. Yeah, and that one might be good if your story is trying to do something more about the alien ruins and monoliths that have been left out because that's something Numenera is big on yeah. is discovering lost ancient civilizations and technologies and magic and stuff. So if you're using Numenera, which is a D20 system, I believe. Yes. It's more similar to Dungeons and Dragons. So if you're really into Dungeons and Dragons and using D20 based games, that's probably a good choice. You could use that, maybe play it, change it up a little and focus on the alien ruins and more frontier aspects of the game and have fun with that. Yeah, I feel like Numenera is one that could probably do its own episode once I've read through the books and maybe we've done either a couple of one shots or played a scenario with it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I also want to do an episode just about the Star Wars RPGs at some point because there have been three major ones that I'm familiar with. Yep, there was there was the original one that came out in the late 70s. There was the D20 uh, 3.5 spinoff. That's the one that I had, and then Edge of the Empire. Yeah, the the original, I can't remember the publisher's name. It starts with a W. West End, was it West End Games? I believe so. Yeah, West End Games, which was a D6 system. Then the second one was a D20-based 3.5 kind of spinoff. And then the current one is Edge of the Empire, which is a custom dice dice pool system and they're talking about a fourth one that might come out in the next couple of years i like the most recent one many people don't because of the custom dice but i feel like those people who don't like it because of custom dice haven't actually played it here's a here's a question do you think there could be a good translation of alpha centauri into a board game yes there is a civilization board game right uh i don't know for some reason, I just had, like, a spinoff of Terraforming Mars, Terraforming Planet. Yeah, I was going to say, Terraforming Mars is almost an Alpha Centauri board game, just without the, uh, you know, mind worms and terrifying fungus that's going to destroy your cities. And the reason that it it's almost the board game equivalent is that both of them draw from some of the same science fiction books and in entertainment ideas uh both of them drew heavily from the kim stanley robinson mars trilogy uh red mars green mars blue Mar blue mars i think that's the order i've only read the first one most people have only read the first one if you're going to read the trilogy you can stop after red mars um but it's about it's it's a long form series about terraforming mars and it was one of the inspirations for alpha centauri and the terraforming that you do to turn the planet, to make the planet inhabitable. And it's a direct inspiration for the board game Terraforming Mars, which we'll get an entire episode on at some point. Terraform it up. 
Yeah, um, there's a whole lot more we could talk about in relationship to the game, like cool things we like, the use of Blink Singularity Death Spheres in the late game, the use of terraformers to lower the sea level and sink enemy bases, the AI's weird terraforming thing where it just builds endless loops of monorails for no reason sometimes, but I that, that would be for a video game podcast, and I think we've talked enough about the video game. We're taking a slight detour into video game podcast this week. Yeah, but it's an old video game, and it's had an RPG, so it, it still counts. It still counts for our topics. I'm, I'm definitely down to do an Alpha Centauri-themed RPG. I'll add that to the list along with... Uh, doing the alien RPG at some point. Yeah, I think I would do a Edge of the Empire. I would modify Edge of the Empire and run a Alpha Centauri using that. Um, I think that would provide the best mix of science fiction and rules and narrative aspects because you can just rename the various types of blasters to be whatever specific weapons are available in the time period you're playing, whether that's particle accelerators or lasers or singularity lasers or missile launchers or whatever depending on the tech level that the civ game is currently at we just have to get uh some pds of the corrupts modules to steal all the lore and background get it a little bit deeper yes and you definitely cannot find pdfs of the grups module by searching alpha centauri grups pdf what do you mean i just found it yeah that's definitely not how you would find a copy of a role-playing game published for an old version of the game, because it was published for GURPS, uh, GURPS 3rd edition. They are currently on the 4th. And it was published in 2002. So, yeah, if, if you want to look for it, you might search Alpha Centauri GURPS PDF, and you might end up finding one. But... Uh, Definitely don't download and save that to your hard drive so that you can research, look through it later. I would I would never pirate materials and read them on my Kindle because it's much more convenient and I can do it on my lunch break at work. Yeah, definitely don't do that. But if you are, and you can, you should still buy a copy of whatever you're looking at, assuming it's available. And definitely buy the game and play the game because the game is good. Yeah, it's $5. Just do it. Even if you don't like it, all you've lost is $5 in like 20 minutes of your time. And it'll probably take you more than 20 minutes to lose. So uh, yeah, go ahead and play it. So on this podcast, we have a segment called Board Game Corner. And today, Ed is going to tell us about a board game. Yay. Uh, so the one that I played this week, it's called Talisman. Uh Originally produced by friend of the pod, G-Dubs. Uh, currently, it's in its fourth edition, and it's a joint project between uh, Games Workshop and Fantasy Flight. It's tangentially connected to the Warhammer universe. Uh, not quite, but it gets labeled under the Warhammer brand currently. Originally, it was published in 1983, and it's gone through several variations as I already mentioned. Uh, and the idea is that you have a board with three rings. There's an outer ring, an inner ring, or a middle ring, and then an inner ring. And in the center of that ring is the crown of command. And 
It's what each adventurer is trying to get to. Each player has their own character that has special abilities, uh, various stats that let them fight and all that. And so you roll and you move, and depending on where you land on the board, things happen, and eventually you're just trying to make your way to that crown in the center. And then once you get to the center of the board, you roll a dice and you have a 50-50 chance of dealing one damage to every player uh, who's in the game, and then the last person standing is the winner, hopefully whoever has the crown. So it turns into a little bit of a ticking clock once a player hits that. Uh, everybody's just got to try and gang up and knock that player off the seat, and then somebody else will grab it, rinse and repeat. In terms of mechanics, it's a very old-school game. Uh, it's got player elimination. It's got roll to move. It can take it can take a while because you have to roll uh, to land on the spots that will move you between the rings. So depending on your preferred play style of games and your group, you could turn into kind of a monopoly situation where you just have one runaway player or because it's kind of rules light, you know, you just roll and then read what happens on the card and then next player goes. Um, It could be kind of more of a light beer and pretzels type game um, just with the length being maybe a bit of an issue for that. There's a lot of expansions for it that add new rings to the board Um, There's also a couple of different boards. There's expansions that add new characters, new win conditions, and all that. In general, I find it pretty fun, but I think it's just, it's going to be a thing that it's personal taste to you and your group. So if you want to try it, you can probably find a used copy out there fairly cheap because it's been around for quite a while. Uh, And Give it a try, see how you like it. You might like it, you might not. But I tend to uh, have at least a fairly good time with it when I play it. Yeah, I'm not really a fan of most player elimination games. Yeah, that's that's the big aspect that I don't like. So you might need to kind of house rule it, maybe, that, you know, rather than getting eliminated, you respawn on your starting square and suffer some kind of penalty or something like that. And then, you know, whoever, rather than waiting for the player with the crown of command to just slowly chip away at everybody's health, be like, yep, you got the crown of command first. They're the winner. Um, that's how I would normally play it. Just cause you don't want to sit there making 50, 50 rolls to kill the rest of the players. I feel like you should do something like you've got the crown of command. Now there's a timer. And when it runs out, you win. Yeah. Just like, you know, take, take the health of the player and say, you know, this player, they've got like six HP uh, that's going to give us six turns to knock the crown off this player. So, I don't know. It might be one that makes an appearance at one of our game days, and we'll see how long we can put up with it. Um, but I tend to like it. It's got a little bit of old-school charm. They use the really old, derpy Warhammer art, which I don't say that as a, a slight to the artist. It's just that style um, from the 80s that I really like. But... It's, it's kind of a nostalgia thing for me as far as games go, but it's fun to take out and play every once in a while. Yeah, and uh, th- that can be fun. I do like ones where players that are eliminated have a way to get back into the game, even if it's just as like a sub thing where they, you know, act to help other people or hinder other people and can't actually win themselves. So that would be an interesting thing to do as well. In any case, yeah, we'll have to sit down and actually play the game. 
Yep. So, with that, I think that's the end of our podcast. Uh, as always, thank you for listening. Like, subscribe, hit us up on social media. We are at Knoll Country on Twitter and Knoll Country on Instagram. And we don't have a Facebook because why would we? Um, make sure to play Alpha Centauri and play Talisman and, you know, support your friendly local game stores. Yep. Ed, anything you want to plug here? Normally you can find me on uh, Instagram at Animadness, but I'm taking an extended break from social media for the time being. So you can like whatever you see on the page there now. It just might be a little while before anything else uh, shows up. Uh, if you can support whatever Ukrainian relief funds you can, um, the one that I've been doing is fallout hobbies that creator uh they're ukrainian and so they have some stuff related to donating and relief funds if you buy some products through their web store so yeah someday my fake null products will come back but spend your actual money dollars on something that matters or you could buy the null country brand dry brush guaranteed to never get wet great for painting models when you don't actually want to put paint on the brush that's, that's just kind of how I paint normally. I just sit there and look at them and be like, why aren't you painted? Yeah, the driest of brushes. Go, Knowles! <laughs>